0: We're going to be starting a series in the Gospel of Mark, and um, I'm going to be covering uh, fairly large portions of scriptures on certain weeks, including this one, and so you're going to want to have a Bible in your hand, okay? I'll be showing a lot of the scripture up on the screen, but I'm going to be jumping from one page to the page right next to it, and you're going to want to be able to follow back and forth. So actually, you want to actually get a Bible out, open it up in front of you, the um, the, let's see if this works. Oh, good. Even when you leave it on. Um, it's page uh, 1551. So it's a numerical palindrome. And so you can remember that. That's where Mark starts, 1551. And <clears throat> that'll be fun. Okay. So get a Bible in your hand. Here's a couple little intro slides just so as we, as we get into the gospel of Mark, if you're like, okay, who wrote it? And where is it? If you're one of those people, um, we don't know exactly exactly. Uh, the date Mark was written in, but it was, it was almost certainly written before the fall of the temple, which is 70 AD. Probably not written until after 63 for a reason I can't remember. And um, so it's probably within that seven-year period. It's written by John Mark. Um, its uh, authorship is it was universally attested in the ancient church. Um, by the time you got to 1800, there were a bunch of Germans sitting around with a lot of time on their hands, and they got going on criticizing scripture, and so they decided somebody else wrote it. But um, nobody thought that for the first 1800 or so years of its existence, or 1700 um, and so John Mark, the author, is mentioned. Um, in terms of its content, where did it come from? Because Mark, John Mark wasn't an apostle. Um, it, the, uh, the unanimous word of church history is that um, John Mark was a fairly close companion of the apostle Peter. And that Mark is considered really the gospel of Peter. And you, one of the reasons you can begin to see this is, is when you look at what Mark spends all of his time talking about, he spends almost all of his time talking about Jesus' ministry in Galilee, which is Peter's home. And there's a couple places where in the other Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Luke, Peter actually has a good moment. And in those, in in Matthew and Luke, Matthew and Luke talk about Peter having a good moment. In Mark, there's this humility around Peter where it talks about his good moments, but not or his bad moments, but not so much his good moments. And some people have actually seen Peter's growing humility as an apostle there. That years later, as he reflected back on this and was talking to John Mark about it, he it was very keen in his mind to mention and to have included his failures. But not quite so keen to for much time at all to be spent on his successes. So anyway. And uh, its main focus is the Galilee ministry of Jesus and the Passion Week. It's about half and half split either way. And the the theme of Mark is the unfolding identity of Jesus in two parts. Um, Mark, you can split right down the middle. Um, Chapters 1 to 8, Jesus is the Messiah. Chapters, uh, second half of chapter 8 through 16, the kind of Messiah Jesus is. So it's kind of split two ways like that. If you want—one of the things that I would recommend if you're in a home group or a care group, one of the things that you can do along with this message is on our website, there's a link to a study guide on Mark's Gospel by Tim Keller. I'm going to be following it in certain places, but my series on Mark and that study guide are almost the exact exact same number of weeks long, 24 weeks. So if you got that and did that in your care group and did it in relationship to the sermon, it would flow. Um, two commentaries. If you're going to be reading and studying Mark along with us, which I would encourage, these are the two that I would recommend. Um, the R. Allen Cole one on Mark is just a little feller. It's at $12. It's relatively inexpensive, and you can read it along with your Bible, carried around with you. It's very convenient and of good quality. The second one by um, James Edwards, the, the the gospel according to Mark is just probably the best single volume that I've found on Mark. So if you're interested in getting a commentary to go along with it, if you're going to be leading your home group if you do the study, see all the triangulation okay so Mark's gospel let's read some of it and this will not be on the screen so I hope you're on page 1551 or wherever it is in your Bible The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in the Pro- Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan and Satan He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as one of the teachers of the law." "'Just then, a man in their synagogue "'who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? "'Have you come to destroy us? "'I know who you are, the Holy One of God. "'Be quiet,' Jesus said sternly. "'Come out of him.' "'The evil spirit shook the man violently "'and came out of him with a shriek. "'The people were all so amazed "'that they asked one another, "'What is this, a new teaching and with authority?' He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, skip to chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So so, So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves... Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, "'Why are you thinking these things?' Which is easier to say to the paralytic, "'Your sins are forgiven,' or to say, "'Get up, take your mat, and walk.'" But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins— He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. In Mark's Gospel, there are a number of places where you get these crowd summary statements. And they mark off sections of his gospel, um, chapters uh, one one through two twelve in that sense are a unit it, it goes together it 's one act of the drama there 's about five in the first eight chapters. <clears throat> now, what I want to do is I want to cover the theme of this first section of the Gospel of Mark. Now, Mark is writing to people who are not Who don't know very much about the gospel About Judaism about Mark is the gospel for beginners You read most of the other gospels And it's assumed that you know a lot of stuff Mark isn't like that Mark is basically a show me don't tell me gospel He tells us almost everything through actions Not through descriptions Okay And he just goes right to it He doesn't There's no sermon on the mount in Mark It's the leanest meanest gospel And so, um, it's really, in some ways, the evangelistic gospel. They're all evangelistic gospels, but Mark is designed to take you from nowhere to introducing you to the king. Now, people come to church, or they come to the gospel, or they come to Christian faith for a lot of different reasons, right? There's as many reasons as why you first showed up in this room, probably, as there are people in this room, and some people come because they, they want an overall philosophy of life that kind of puts everything together. They can see their life and their values going in different directions, and they want something to pull it all together. Some people are just really looking for a moral compass. A lot of people, they're really just looking for a moral compass for their kids, not for themselves, right? But they come for the moral compass gig. Some people are just looking for emotional encouragement. Some are looking for some kind of sense of spirituality or a sense of immediate connection with God. They're looking for something like that. But... um. If you come with that as the first thing on your mind, what you're going to find is you're going to find the gospel, and you're going to find Mark's gospel in particular, confusing. Because that's not the point. Now, Christianity is emotionally encouraging. It, there are spiritual components to it that are mystical. Um, it is a philosophy of life, and there, it does create tend to create moral improvement in people. But that's not what is happening in the gospel, because the gospel... Is news not advice or philosophy okay now, let me let me frame for you this way. Um, a few seven years ago, I was riding in an overnight eleven hour train ride from the Indian city of Nagpur to the Indian city of Warangal in ninety five degree heat with no air conditioning and um, it 's not <laughs> It was not tourist missions Let me just tell you that Okay And so I'm on this train And you need to understand That it's not just So you can kind of see the fan Can you kind of see the fan up here? Yeah guess because you'll die If there isn't one And you need to understand That Indian trains Can be a little crowded So So I'm having this, So I get to ride on this train For 11 hours With this kind of deal So I'm, I'm in there And I've, I've bought this book And I'm reading this leadership book On my bunk Which is the third one up Like it's this close to the ceiling So I'm like reading my book And this is what I'm going to get to do For 11 hours And um so I get out for a minute And I'm kind of sitting on the edge of the bed And I'm the, Okay, this is not a place where white people go So I'm the only white person for miles around Only white guy on the train And so this I'm looking And it's just all Indian guys And none of them know English It's not like Oh yeah, we're Hindi But we know English No So the Sikh guy comes up to me He's about He's about 19 years old And he sits down And he says You know, you really shouldn't be reading that book right now In English And I was like um, I'm thinking Okay, Captain Judgment What's going on? And um, <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you really should be experiencing India right now. And I wanted to say, do you see this perspiration? I'm experiencing India. <laughs> um, but, but what I realized was that was a backward saying of him saying, I want to experience something of America. That's what he was really saying. And so we, we talked for like four and a half hours. And here's the thing that was kind of surreal about the conversation. Okay, so this is seven years ago. So in his mind, America was Britney Spears... And George W. Bush's foreign policy Okay Now imagine having a conversation with somebody who, who really Sincerely believes That your mental structures Are the combination without remainder Of Britney Spears Corpus And George W. Bush's foreign policy As it gets through Commentators who write in Hindi In India and, and the person who's telling you is not being sarcastic or ironic in thinking that about you The person very sincerely believes that that's who you are And so he kept saying, well, you know, Americans believe this and Americans think this and Americans believe that And I, and I finally just said, listen, dude, you've got to stop here, okay? Um, America is not as diverse as India, but we're a pretty diverse nation What you need to realize is, is that the, the, the thing that all Americans have in common is not a, any particular philosophy, the thing that all Americans have in common Is that they all Live in America <laughs> I, mean, that's really, I mean that's really all you can say Is that they're human And they live in America I mean everything else is not true of all of them And you know on lots of big issues We're split 50-50 And if I ask anybody to even recite the preamble to our constitution They're going to look at you like you're from Mars Okay There is no, nothing unifying Americans Other than we're all Americans We all are part of the same country Right? And this is one of the things that can confuse people when they come to Christian faith. Is what they think is that, oh, I'm going to come to Christian, where there's going to be like this Christian philosophy and everybody's going to think the same thing. No, no, no I'll think that. F-. Jesus did not come to announce a philosophy. Now, is there Christian philosophy? Yes. Right? But that's not the bottom level. What's the foundation? What is, what's everything built on? Everything is built on a king who came to announce a country. You have to get that in your mind. If you don't get that in your mind, Christianity can never make any sense to you. It can ne- because you'll think, well, you know, I compared Christianity with Buddhism. And- well, they don't compare! You can't! One is a philosophy of metaphysical spirituality. The other is the announcement of a kingdom. They're not the same They're totally different One is a sociological philosophy that tends to be mystical And one is God intersecting history as a king Who announces that there is a country for those who will repent and believe They're totally different things It's apples and oranges, they don't even intersect And so so if you come, and so I'm sitting with a Sikh guy, right? So he's from Hindu-Buddhist land. So religion is all about mystical philosophies and so on. And so to him, Christianity seems really weird. They're like, well, he he essentially wants to know what my Swami Jesus teaches. And I'm like, my Swami Jesus teaches that he's king of everything. That's what he teaches. (laughs) You know? Um, So... When we come to Mark's gospel, one of the things we need to recognize way up front is That the gospel is the announcement of the news that God is king and is making a kingdom Alright, the word gospel is news that's good news, that's significant, and that requires a response It's it's news that's big enough That will affect you So when it says here The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ So what's the good news about? It's about this guy Jesus Christ Who's the son of God And then he says After John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee Proclaiming the good news of God The time has come He said The kingdom of God is near What does that mean? You'll know by the time we get to the end of Mark's gospel It's intentionally cryptic But here's what he does His point is cryptic But his application is crystal clear He says, repent and believe the good news Right? So he's like, okay This is what we're going to talk about We're going to talk about Jesus Who is the Christ Who is the King Who is the Son of God He's announcing a kingdom And in order to enter that kingdom He's inviting you to repent and believe That is completely change your mind About your mental structures That are against the kingdom Believe that it's coming Believe that that news is good news Not bad news And become his disciple Because what happens right after this In Mark's gospel He says this and what does he do He walks out to the lake And what does he say He sees Peter and Andrew What does he say Come You follow me And then he goes to another place There's another couple guys He goes, hey you guys, you You come, you follow me Right? That happens right after this So you go, what does it really mean to repent and believe? Well, that's what it means Because you need to understand is If you're reading Mark for the first time Do you know that these four guys are going to be apostles? You don't know that They're just dudes that fish And Jesus shows up and he says Come on Come follow me Come become part of the kingdom Come with me You're going to see something Right? And so that invitation is universal. It's a universal invitation for you to come and follow me, to repent and believe and be part of the new kingdom because Jesus isn't announcing a philosophy. We're going to get into his teaching as time goes on. But Mark, for these first two chapters, is here's one thing you'll find. What teaching of Jesus can you find in the first two chapters of Mark? What you're going to find is Jesus' philosophy and thinking is conspicuously absent from the first chapters of Mark. Mark tells us that Jesus engages in teaching, but he doesn't tell us what he teaches. Why? Why? It's so blatant. You read Matthew, right? And you're just hardly into the thing, and there's like four chapters of this long sermon with all this teaching, right? But Mark totally doesn't cover that. It's all about Jesus' actions. Jesus does things. And Mark uses all these words like, immediately, and he knew right then, and then this happened right away, and it's a very kinesthetic gospel, right? And the point is not that we would know Jesus' teaching. The point is is that we would learn something about the kingdom by learning something about the gospel, which is about the king. I mean, even the language Mark uses, gospel, or okay, if you look in verses 14 and 15, the NIV translates good news. That's the exact same word as verse 1, where it says gospel, right? And it's this kind of big, but also um, the word for proclaiming or preaching or announcing and the word in the New Testament for teaching are totally different words. Mark totally could have, could have pitched Jesus as a, as a wandering teacher. He could have done that. He could have said, Jesus went out and taught about things, but he doesn't. He says that Jesus came and he proclaimed, he heralded, he announced the gospel, which was about him. Now, the fact that the gospel is about him is something that Mark eases into, and, wh- and, and you need to be careful about following this, because the whole gospel of Mark is easing into the identity of Jesus, okay? You could read the whole gospel just with that in mind. The whole gospel of Mark is, is easing us into the identity of Jesus. So he starts out two chapters. All the first two chapters are about is there is a king, there is a kingdom, and I wanna, the first two chapters, all I want to introduce you to about this king is that he has authority. He has authority. He's the king, right? It's not particularly philosophical, is it? Right? You're not going to break down that syllogism into its founding premises, are you? It's just an announcement. There's a king, and guess what the king has? Authority. And a lot of it. Right? Now, but the, the thing that we have to get here out of verse 14 is, is that the gospel is not just news, but it is life-changing, decision-demanding news. Jesus is not letting us in on some interesting piece of thinking, right? So there's—you know how, like, we're used to news that doesn't matter, okay? Are you used to news that doesn't matter, right? How about this one? Bailiffs to seize puppies to recover debt, right? Yeah, okay, funny news, dumb news— but not life-changing news that requires a response, right? And what Mark wants us to see is, is that this news about this king, about this gospel, this is news you've got to do something with. You can't be ambivalent. You can't go, oh, isn't that interesting? You, he's a king. He's bringing a kingdom. You're either in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. And apparently, from what he says, the choice is up to you. So for 24 weeks, that's going to be my message. Whatever we say about Jesus, it's going to come back to this. Jesus calling you and me to repent and believe and to become disciples in his kingdom. Okay? Now, what I want to do in the next couple of minutes is go through... Two episodes about his authority Because the key, the, the key here Is that the, me- the kingdom and the message Rest on the king Because he's going to really introduce Jesus Not the message and not the kingdom really That's all he says about the kingdom And then it's, from there it's all about the king Right? And the main thing he's going to introduce us to Is Jesus' authority So two episodes here on Jesus' authority Remember this one we just read? They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue, began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law, right? So he goes in the synagogue, he starts to teach, and his teaching has authority. That's what people notice. Now, what I want you to notice is, before there are any miracles, there is teaching. There's preaching, there's announcement. This is really important, because you could think that the interesting thing about Jesus is that he does miracles, and that's not the interesting thing about Jesus. Okay? It's, not the, uh, it's interesting, but it's not the main interesting thing about Jesus. In Mark, what you will always see is teaching or something about the king preceding the miracle. And the miracle is meant to show the identity of Jesus. So he comes in and he teaches. And so here's, here's the question you could, you could ask. You could say, okay, so this Jesus comes in and he, sa- he has the authority to tell us the good news, right? He has the authority to, to preach, and his authority exceeds the highest level of authority we're used to, okay? So think about who gets the authority to tell you stuff and you believe it, right? I mean, a lot of us—I don't know if I've done this bit at this church yet, so forgive me if I've said this already— but most of us really think we believe what we believe for good reasons, most of us really think that. And the fact is, is that that's false. Um, most of us have not actually investigated down to the data points and reconstructed everything that we believed on scientific premises based on the scientific method all the way down. For 95 to 99 to 100% of what you believe, you believed somebody who said something. That's just a fact. And it's a fact because we live in an information age, and it's, it's frankly not practical for non-omniscient Beings to be going out and investigating everything. You have to subcontract knowledge. It's necessary. You can't get around that. There's nothing you can do. Even if you want to know everything for the right reasons, all you can do is get a PhD in a subfield of 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 a a subfield. And even then, you have the problem of whether or not your knowledge is properly integrated with all the other subfields and all the other fields and fields of fields, which it's probably not, which is why you go to conferences and pay a lot for hotels. (laughs) <laughs> the fact is, is that the most of what we believe We believe based on some authority that we've accepted as trustworthy you're, the, the difference is you're either conscious of that or you're unconscious of that It's not true or false, okay It's true It's just whether you're conscious or not Now, so Jesus comes on the scene And he says, basically, I've got the authority to be one of those people that you buy into That you believe and so the question is, well, how much authority, right? So I think of who has the top levels of authority to tell me things that I'm going to believe, right? There are certain people I've grown to trust. There are certain voices in culture and community that— over time, I've seen what they say turn out to be right And so I trust their judgment in their field And I have this sort of web of faces and minds and people and sources That I use based on track records and so on, so on and so forth, right? That's how we all do it And Jesus comes to them and he goes, yeah, I'm, I should really kind of be at the top of that And then all these other voices really ought to be judged in a relationship to me Not the other way around He's got authority above the teachers of the law The teachers all were the authoritative experts. Jesus has more authority than them, And so the question is, well, how much more authority? Well, here's how much. Enough to tell demons what to do, apparently. I mean, this is the whole point of the exorcism. The whole point of the exorcism is there's a certain level of authority that studying can never get you. There is a level of cosmic authority that tells demons, that tells sicknesses what to do. Okay, now I have never interacted with somebody with that kind of authority Who is very well educated Listen, I could not be more for education But I'm just going to tell you, it's got a ceiling That's all I'm saying And Jesus is claiming to and acting as though he's above that ceiling Okay, so here's the problem with all that so apparently he has enough authority to tell demons what to do That's kind of a lot of authority He has the right to preach the gospel But there is one premise that is still suspect in his gospel And that is his right and ability to forgive sins Now, it's, it's, it's well and good to teach teachings about God And what God is like and how we should follow him And how we should be his disciple And all those sorts of things Because any rabbi can do that, right? I mean, we would say now any pastor can open up the Bible and preach and tell us how to live toward God. What's, what's different? Here, here's the difference. I can tell you based on God's promises in Scripture that if you repent, God will forgive you. I'm I'm a salesman. I'm a middleman to that message. I believe it's absolutely trustworthy because the source of the promise is absolutely trustworthy, but I can't tell you the transactions taking place, right? That's why there's all these passages on how you can have assurance of your faith because I can't go, oh yeah, your sins are forgiven. I can say, if you repent, come to faith in Jesus, accept his death on your behalf, your sins will be forgiven because God promises that. But I can't look at you, see into the... Mystic nature of your legal standing With God and go, oh yeah, your sins are forgiven That's fantastic That's beyond me It's beyond every human being Because that's something God reserves for himself Right? That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 7 Don't judge lest you be judged That's what he's talking about He's talking about this definitive I know exactly where you stand You see, we can judge in this as we go Listen, listen I'm looking at the data. The data doesn't look good, right? We can, we can spiritually judge like scientists. God gives us data in the scripture of how he judges. We can look at the data of our own lives and heart, and we can make judgments toward ourselves or towards other people that let us in, right? We can do that, but it's not authoritative, right? When Jesus does it, it's authoritative. So you get this second episode where Jesus goes back to the same town, Capernaum, right? And in the inter- inter- intervening verses, um, he, Jesus has healed a bunch of people in Capernaum So now this is like the hotbed of his coolness And so he goes back and he's teaching in this house And you just can't even get in the place, right? And, and what does it say he does? Does it say, and he healed all their diseases? Is that what it said? No, what does it say? It says he preached the word to them Right? So Jesus is here because he has a message He has an announcement to make Now, these guys can't get in So they dig a hole in the roof Okay? And Mark kind of, it's funny Because Mark kind of cleans this up a little bit for us Right? But you can imagine they're digging through the, digging through the roof Okay, that's a little distracting And so they lower this guy down in front of Jesus And you've got to realize This is a tight space This is a tight sweaty space And I mean, there's like, I'm like, like He's coming down and Jesus is probably right here And the people are right there And Jesus looks up, sees the guy, sees their faith Looks down, sees this guy's faith And he says, son, your sins are forgiven Right? Where is that? Right there, five sons. Your sins are forgiven. Now, here's what Mark does. It's a little flick. Now, who are the bad guys in this little parable? The teachers, the religious people. The religious people are always the bad guys, right? Yeah, you need to remember that. We need to remember that. Okay, we're always the bad guys, so be careful. Um, and so, But here's what Mark does. He says the important theological premise from the mouth of the bad guys right? He uses the dramatic foil to say the most important idea, which is, who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, that's true. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they know based on the authority of the former scriptures, they know that's true. You cannot forgive sins unless you're God, right? So you, Jesus, are clearly blaspheming because you are saying, you aren't saying, but repent and believe and your sins will be forgiven You are judging his faith and saying his sins are forgiven Now that may not, that may sound like semantics to you But it is not semantics, okay? And so Jesus says, okay um, why, are you th- why do you think like that? Which is easier to say? See, what you think is it's just easy for me to say that, right? So you go, oh, anybody can say that, right? Because anybody can blaspheme. Blaspheming's easy, right? Have you watched TV lately? It's easy. So you just blaspheme. And Jesus is like, okay, so you want to know the— so you need to know the difference between whether I'm saying something that's true because I am something or whether I'm just blaspheming like some dude and I'm trying to get popular because of so on. And so he turns to the guy and he says, get up and walk. But he, right before that, he says this. What does he say? He says, Let's find it Get up and take my walk Okay, then he says Now, it's a little weak in the New International Version here See this, but that you may know There's a a specific word in the original language That the New Testament was written in um, That is a It's a so that word It always means so that and that's the word that's used here. And, and the NIV mutes it a little bit, but it's important. But it, it literally is, so that you may know. Okay, so the express purpose for why I am about to turn back paralysis is this. So that you would know that the Son of Man has the, what? Authority on earth to forgive sins. Right? Now, I want to spend just a minute here on... This whole title, Son of Man. For a couple of reasons. It's going to show up 12 times in the book, so we're going to come back to it again. Um, And it's an important title of Jesus. Now, um... Wait, I'm ahead of myself. No. No, I missed that. We missed that joke, guys. Sorry. (laughs) That was going to be funny, though, I promise. Um, So when when Jesus... um, when Jesus comes in and he calls himself the Son of Man, what is he saying? Okay. Now, in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, it says this. So this is a prophetic vision of the future, right? And Daniel sees this and he says, In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, which is his euphemism for the Father or God Almighty, right? And he says, And was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, sovereign power. What was the first adjective he was given? Authority. Authority, Right? Sovereign power. All all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Right? Okay, wait a second. This is a person who looks like a human being in a vision that— God Almighty gives God-like attributes to And then what is the response of all the nations To this human-like figure? Worship Can you think of any other place In the Bible, anywhere, those of you who know it In which anybody gets worshipped rightly Other than God You're just going to have to write in a page If you want that Because it's not in there, okay It's nowhere Um, And his dominion Meaning the Son of Man's dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, Now, that was one of the last books of Revelation before the 430 years of silence before Jesus. And it was on the minds of the Second Temple Jews, which who Jesus was speaking to. Now, one of the reasons it's also important to look at this is is that some of our Muslim neighbors will look at this and use this as an argument for why Jesus isn't God. And one of the reasons for that is that in the book of Ezekiel, Whenever God speaks to Ezekiel, he calls him son of man, and he does that 90 times, right? So this is in one place, right? God refers to Ezekiel, son of man, 90 times as son of man, so you just, you know, and they'll just say, listen, how do you know he's not just referring to Jesus as a prophet? Because what do Muslims believe Jesus is? Uh, One of the great prophets, right? So if if God referred to Ezekiel as the son of man And Jesus refers to himself as the son of man That really is good evidence that Mark doesn't understand Jesus Jesus understands Jesus Jesus is saying basically that he's a great prophet And through the prophetic means He's declaring this person to be Forgiven of all his sins, right? Well, there's a a couple things to say about this This is where Jesus introduces this title for himself And he chooses a very specific place To introduce this as his title He chooses the place where He's doing a God action Right? That's where he chooses He calls it he, He chooses Now, he's already been preaching But here's where he labels himself The Son of Man He says, so that you will know And then out of nowhere he goes That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins He doesn't say prophetic insight He goes to that adjective He says, that I, I, I'm not saying I can see it I'm saying I have it okay? That's, Those are very different things It's one thing to get a call from somebody's aide that says Okay, so and so said such and such Another thing for the, the person himself to say Listen, I have all the authority in this matter And I'm just telling you this is what's going to happen That's the logic Jesus is using He's introducing himself as the son of man And he's doing it in relationship to something only God can do He is pointing to this passage Not any other And he's tapping into the first attribute Of what the Son of Man was given Authority Oh wait, no, that that still works Okay, so When When Just to know that Jesus has come on the scene That the king of the kingdom is here And that he has authority That's not necessarily inherently good news right? There's a lot of people who have authority Right? Do you get it now? There's a lot of people who should not have any authority But they still have some In fact, almost everybody here Has some modicum of authority Right? But why is it good news That Jesus has all authority? And here's why because in between these two episodes, it shows us the sort of authoritative person Jesus is. In 35 to 39 in chapter 1, it says this. Very early in the morning. So Jesus has just healed all these people in Capernaum, right? He's just in these miraculous works. It's the first major set of miracles he does in Mark's gospel. It says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Which in most sermons is going to be about What? Us waking up and getting away and making sure we have a good prayer time, right? It's not what this is about. Now, that's that can be, it's totally fine to say that, but that's not what this passage is about. He says, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and, ex- and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you! Jesus replied, okay, so Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that's why I've come. Now, think about this. Peter and James and John and Andrew Have shown up, why? Because they're big stuff in Capernaum Right? I and mean, Jesus healed all these people Everybody's looking for you Jesus goes back later and has a full, more than a full house right? And so they're like, dude, come I mean, We're big, let's go and what, is, and what do they hear from Jesus? Yeah, he goes, listen and, and it's almost like Jesus didn't hear them And he goes You know, we need to go to other places And, and announce the kingdom Because that's why I've come Right? I mean, this is a king who announces himself to one group of people, becomes popular, he turns around and he walks out of that popularity into another place where he's completely unknown, where the good news has not been heard, so he can tell it there. And he will do that again and again and again until somebody kills him for it. That's the sort of king this is. And the question becomes, okay, well, why? Why? Is it because he had fame there and he thought he could expand his fame And so he went to grow his fame all over the world? Well, not if you read the next few verses Because he leaves there to go preach, right? And he runs into this guy Now, why does Mark include this guy? He's just getting going, right? He's just telling us the big picture about Jesus He's walking, and he, and he, he includes this dude that is meaningless I mean, he's, they're, they're going somewhere else They meet this guy that he heals along the way It's insignificant, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Right? So he's got leprosy. You're not even supposed to touch him. You're supposed to cross the whole other side of the street. Um, Because the fear is is that if he touches you, you're going to become unclean. Right? Um, That he has the power to destroy even though he doesn't want it, right? And he says, and and here's what it says in verse 41, and it says this twice in in Mark's gospel in very conspicuous places. It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Okay, he touched the guy with leprosy, right? That's supposed to be big. If you were a Jew, you would think that was big, okay? I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And if you read the following verses, this guy actually creates problems for Jesus later because he tells everybody and then Jesus can't even go to a town because he can't even go get, you know, he can't even get a Pepsi without being mobbed and so he's got to go out to the desert places. Now think about this. Why does Mark include these two episodes between two episodes about Jesus' absolute escalating authority? And here's why. Because the news of the king is only good news if it's a certain kind of king, right? The news in the early 1900s that Mao had come into authority and had all authority in China, that was not good news. You see, the reason this is good news is that the king has come into his kingdom. The king has come. The king has called all people to repent and to believe and to become his disciple. And so you go, okay, well, what kind of kingdom is this going to be? well it's going to be the kingdom of an inclusive king who goes out into all the world seeking everybody from all nations remember that passage from daniel who goes out into all peoples nations and men of every language he's going out his message is going out everywhere and the reason he's doing it is not really for purposes of his fame he's going to get fame from it because everybody who he saves is going to love him which is the proper thing emotion to have when somebody saves you but it says in these verses, and the reason Mark includes this dying leprous man is to express to you and I that the reason it's such good news is because this king is filled with compassion. And you and I are going to have to make sense in a world where everything is either absolutely rigid, you're in or you're out, you either agree with us or you're a scumbag, or. We are so open that we can't affirm anything in a world that is that either or. A king that comes with absolute powerful authority and who is also filled with the deepest outreaching, inclusive compassion that you could possibly know. That's the king. And Mark is not particularly interested when he when he wrote this for everyone to read what felt need you came here today with the big puzzle piece that you need to put it all together is is that the whole thing fits first and foremost under this a king has come to announce his kingdom in which you could be a part a king that is full of absolute authority and the deepest compassion that you could possibly know. And he's called you to come and be one of his followers so that you can learn more about him, you can be part of the kingdom, and that you can learn and experience all the things you came for. But you can't do that until you enter the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we work through this gospel, that you would open up for us vistas of what this kingdom is like, what Jesus is like, how great he is, how good he is. And I pray that you would impart faith to us to believe. That we would recognize that this really isn't a question of reason. That all of our reasonable faculties can look at this and say, well, it's coherent. And and at some point, we're going to have to choose whether to believe the source or to disbelieve the source. I pray that you'd well up in us faith and repentance and desire to follow you and know you. And I pray that you'd help us to be a people that will learn your teachings and experience all the felt needs that we have, will be delivered and helped in all the trials of our lives because we know Christ. We know the compassionate, authoritative King. And that in whatever trial we face, we know that his love and his sovereign power hangs over us.